Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Dr. Terrence Ruth. Terrence Ruth has received his PhD in public affairs from the University of Central Florida. He received his master's in education from Nova Southeastern University and BA from Olathorpe University. He completed a national fellowship through Boston College with a certification in nonprofit leadership. Dr. Ruth is an advocate for public education, once serving as a teacher, principal, and the parent of a son who attends public schools in Wake County. As a former administrator for Wake County Public Schools, who now serves as an education consultant to numerous nonprofits, he sits on several statewide boards. Dr. Ruth has worked in K-12 schools across Florida in in Wake County. Currently, he's a professor at NCSU and the former president of the Justice Love Foundation. He is deeply engaged in diversity, equity, and inclusion work across the city of Raleigh and the Triangle. Dr. Ruth was a Raleigh mayoral candidate for November 2022, not too long ago. When he ran for uh, the mayor, he sadly lost to the incumbent mayor, but um, we'll also talk a little bit about some of his stories with his current work and uh, social justice work as well. Well, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Ruth. Nice having you on today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I'll start off with a question I ask everybody. Tell me about a time when you you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out. Yes, I I, I would have to say uh, my history, my background is in alternative education. And much of my work sort of uh, rests on um, the difficulty that's embedded in human beings' lives Mm -hmm. as it pertains to the classroom. Mm -hmm. So my kids are normally coming from really tough and rough neighborhoods, and also the educators are coming from really difficult neighborhoods and environments. And so I joined an organization called Public Schools First NC, and Mm -hmm. we went around training teachers. This is probably for about five or six years now, training teachers administrators on resiliency. We would show the ACES film and that ACES film allowed for us to realize and to share that not only does trauma impact learning, it also impacts the body. Mm -hmm. And what what I found is that these teachers are in the sort of, (laughs) they have the intersection of politics and in quality quality learning and a quality mm-hmm. learning environment, and that is causing um, difficult uh, traumatic experiences for much of our teachers. And so, the training that we were given for them to create a, a trauma informed classroom, we now need it for educators. Mm-hmm. And so, you have teachers who are operating in fear of political pushback for teaching around CRT. You have teachers who are trying to navigate what books. They can have in their classroom or in the syllabus. Mm-hmm. You have teachers trying to navigate um, the, the the autonomy they have in the classroom versus the the parameters and walls that's being built each each passing of, of legislation. And so you're really seeing this um, this very difficult 
political season on the horizon mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. adults in the classroom are seeing you know, sort of lower pay, which they have been advocating for for many years. And so they're seeing themselves win by creating a united voice around mm -hmm. uh, the trauma that they've experienced over the years. And so you, you, we have a really solid um, educator voice, both in the community, in the political scene, but also in the classroom in North Carolina, which I think is unique to um, to North Carolina. I've, I've been an educator in other states, but in North Carolina, there seems to be a strong um, united voice around what uh, public education should and can be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So are you seeing um, with this united voice um, some changes that are coming um, maybe in the next school year, at least in terms of conditions, like you said, that educators are dealing with these sometimes traumatic conditions and the fear uh, and losing their autonomy. So does it feel like seem like it might be on the upturn for the 24-25 school year? Well, well I, I would say so there's several answers to that question. Mm -hmm. Number one, I witnessed uh, a pivot from just talking about the mental health the resiliency of the students to a combination of both the students and the educators. Mm -hmm. That I think is a huge victory. We're mm -hmm. now centering the human being that's behind that teacher title and their mental health and well-being also alongside the students. And we're not just zoom and hyper-focus on the students. I think that's been a victory um, that we're seeing and that will we will see in the political horizon. Mm -hmm. In North Carolina, what we have on the docket we have the uh, the election, a uh, potential uh, election of a new state superintendent. That mm -hmm. state superintendent really serves at the at the realm of the of the state legislature, and so we're having uh, an election that will. Uh, and we really have a purple state, and so the line is 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 uh, very thin in terms mm -hmm. of whether we go left or right, and so you have a very significant educator election coming up next year mm -hmm. uh, with uh, a new uh, governor that's set to be elected um, with a new state superintendent. Also, you're seeing where uh, a hyper focus on local uh, uh, school boards mm -hmm. uh, because they are now determining who becomes a superintendent and what type of curriculum you're allowed to teach in your classroom. So you're seeing this really uh, uh, gear up for local public mm -hmm. school elections, local municipal elections, but also you see a focus on this, this, the superintendent and then those who are elected into our general assembly because they have a, a significant influence on how we run our, our public schools in this state. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are you seeing maybe more educators or former educators going for those school board seats? I actually am. And, and, and what's, what's fascinating to me is when I ran for mayor, I had many individuals ask me, hey, uh, why would an educator run for office? Why would an educator care? Why mm -hmm. would they why would they want to be in the political space? I, I, I don't think that question needs to be answered by me anymore. I think people mm -hmm. are really answering that question for themselves. I think yeah. they're starting to understand the intersection. Um, that education plays in conjunction with uh, politics and local mm -hmm. governance. And, and also, I think, with the focus on local school boards, mm -hmm. uh, our school board meetings are packed. Yeah. People are, are jam-packed in these school board meetings, and we didn't see that before. 
So now you're starting to see a push for people who understand the context of the classroom, mm-hmm. people who under, understand the context of managing a school building mm-hmm. and individuals who have a heart for the human beings that, that are both students and teachers to be in, in, in sort of elected positions. So we're starting to see a pivot in how we should see educators in the in sort of the political sphere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, since you've worked uh, a lot with the state legislature and kind of bridging the gap between districts and the state, talk to me a little bit about educational funding and the priorities, um, how North Carolina is looking to re-engage how they're funding public ed. Yeah, so we have a uh, we have a case here uh, called the Leandro case, mm-hmm. and in that case, what we're seeing. Um, uh, we're seeing a legal case that's over 20 years old yeah. where a judge has ruled that we need to fund public schools. And it was a successful ruling on behalf of public schools. Now you're starting to hear legislatures, I mean, legislators and, and educators ask for teeth to be applied to that ruling. Mm-hmm. So now with that funding, uh, they're trying to stop the flooding of charter schools. Uh, and in some states, charter school, public school relationships are different. Yeah. In this state, it's a, it's a, it's a line uh, that's a hard line between the two. And so you get a very intense political conversation and debate around charter and public schools. And, you, and often the conversation is around funding. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing funding decrease in our state, um, and you're hearing the outcry of superintendents across our state. Mm-hmm. In r- some of the rural communities, you're seeing where the funding is either life or death. Mm-hmm. Um, I even heard one uh, superintendent in our state uh, share that if they lose the funding from the state, that they will have no money to operate and function uh, uh, to operate their, their, their school district. Um, you're starting to see where the cap on charter schools have sort of been removed and you're seeing an expansion of charter schools. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing school districts like Wake County, which is one of the largest in the country, feel the pressure mm-hmm. of needing to retain students, mm-hmm. needing to advertise their schools, needing to brand the quality of their learning so that they don't lose uh, students to the charter school structure. And so we've never seen that before. We've mm-hmm. never seen commercials for the school for Wake County. There's a there's a different pressure mm-hmm. and the pressure centers exclusively around funding. And you're seeing a legislature who is leaning towards uh, charter school voucher funding over public schools. Um, and, and the indictment is on the quality of education that could be offered by charter. So in this Leandro ruling, they said we can't offer quality education if we don't have sufficient funding. Mm-hmm. So we have a current real, both long and contemporary narrative around funding of public schools that's really going to be uh, the number one cons- the number one policy issue for the governor, the number one policy issue for the state superintendent uh, seat, the 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 number one conversation around every person that's entering the, a career in teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, uh, we sort of hang our hats in neighborhoods on the quality of schools. Yeah. If we start to see those grades decline, you're starting to see people ask for a return on their money. And so it's a different conversation that I've heard 
um, after being here for for over ten years, um, for funding and and funding attached deeply to the upcoming uh, round of elections. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, we've experienced that in Colorado and in the district I live in. Um, at least 10 years back. So it kind of it moves across the country yeah. in different uh, timeframes. But like, I, I know what you're talking about in terms of like, you know, trying to get the funds to the public schools, even though the charters where I live are under the public umbrella, they're still their own entity. Um, yes, but yeah, it's, um, you know, having that choice education, but also if you're um, advocating for more enrollment at your public school, it's really showing what you can offer as well which um, the public schools in my area, you know, they really boast the CTE offerings that we have and, uh, you know, some newer buildings that they were able to acquire, um, you know, from other organizations and, you know, move some of the CTE offerings there. So, uh, yeah, I think it's looking at innovative ways of, like you said, having to advertise and put out commercials to recruit students and showing what you have that other schools might not have. So, um, and, and, and you, you know, here we we had two organizations. Well, we had one organization. Uh, it was birthed uh-huh. um, called TIP. It was birthed out of a response to the innovative school district in our state mm-hmm. that was going around and taking over uh, pub- failing schools. Um, we we had the grading system for 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 school districts, um, and uh, and if you had a failing school district or a failing school there was a criteria used to take over that school and give it to a, a, a charter management company. And uh, in response to that, there was an organization called TIP that was uh, created to try to rescue and save the kids from, uh, I mean, the, the, the schools from becoming charter. Mm-hmm. And that organization birthed a second organization called Spark and C. And Spark mm-hmm. and C has been very innovative and and connecting future tech jobs mm-hmm. to a line of learning that is embedded inside public schools, even rural public schools. Mm-hmm. Most of our most celebrated school districts are in our urban core, like our mm-hmm. Charlottes, our Raleigh's, et cetera. But even in the rural areas, TIP has been successful in creating coalitions, sharing ideas, yeah. um, uh, having flexibility to operate. So it's really, and to your point, um, there are some innovative ideas that were birthed around public schools and making public schools more attractive to um, an audience that can now uh, make different decisions around where they were learned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's move into a little bit of the conversation on inclusive education. Um, so you mentioned that you've supported um, a lot of the alternative ed and um you mentioned in the pre-chat that there were 95% of the students um, in those al- alternative schools were in black communities. Um, but then you said a lot of the uh, students were uh, going to charters. Um, so um, what does this mean for um, your district in the public ed sphere in serving your black and brown community well? Yeah, so so um, I've had a chance to teach and in, 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 in be an educator in several different states, and this trend is actually not unique to North Carolina or, or the city of Raleigh. Um, if you zoom in to uh, discipline data primarily, alternative schools, at least the alternative schools I was a part of, zoomed into alternative data or IEP, mm-hmm. IEP uh, uh, selection or criteria or enrollment, um, you start to see 
um, racial disparities and and sort of income disparities mm-hmm. around those two conversations. It, in the Leandra report, was a, very, a pretty pretty significant document. It lays this out with every graphic, every region of the state. And so, if we zoom into Raleigh, um, where where I was a principal, uh, you do get in these communities high levels of black and brown, single mother, low income um, students from neighborhoods that have high crime rates, um, zip codes where your predicted earning income doesn't reach beyond Mm $30,000 a year. Um, We are still seeing school systems that that are are, uh, having difficulty addressing the disparities in those neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's across the country. It's not really, really not unique to uh, North Carolina. And so my heart and my passion has always been around those type of schools mm-hmm. and engaging in those communities. Uh, I had a chance to connect with a, with a friend. Uh, we met through some of the organizations that we are plugged into uh, uh, in the country, and that's called High Tech High, Dr. Mm-hmm. Caleb Rashad. Dr. Caleb Rashad was able to uh, be CEO of, of, of a school where design thinking is the fundamental principles. Mm-hmm. And they take on low-income students from low-income neighborhoods, both Black and Brown. And so what we beta tested in our communities are community, community design hubs. Mm-hmm. We said, what if we, what if we created hubs where communities can create and design together mm-hmm. and they can then see values, um, the value-based ideas birthed out of their community to, so- to solve problems in their community. Mm-hmm. So we began to say, let's value these students' ideas and not wait until they get to school. Let's create community design hubs where they say, man, I just created this idea. And it's really, it's really, it really rests on the human-centered design model mm-hmm. um, where those who are closer to the problem are theoretically closer to the solution. Mm-hmm. So it really rests on that framework. And so we created in the community, not in a public school, not in a charter school, but in the community, places where they can ideate, where they can empathize, mm-hmm. uh, where they can fell forward where they can try ideas where they can beta test solutions and they're being rewarded and 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 championed for their brain for what they're thinking of what they're creating and uh we felt that that would link uh these students to their history uh mm-hmm. sort of like black wall street where mm-hmm. uh, pe- pe- people who came right out of a history of slavery and segregation were creating thriving businesses mm-hmm. and they were creating thriving arts and music. And so uh, that gene is still in them. And I, I and we just beta tested several different community design hubs um, to really re-engage um, the value of ideas in these communities, the value of someone's brain and mind and, mm-hmm. and, and their ability to create and not link it to economic outcomes. Mm-hmm. Because you are living in this community, you can still build an amazing idea mm-hmm. just because you are coming from a single parent household you can still produce b- brilliant ideas just because you are part of an ethnic racial minority you can still produce brilliant ideas mm-hmm. and so we felt that this would be an a 
a preventative and prevention strategy mm -hmm. um, rather than allowing for that narrative of low income narrative narrative of black centric communities or black centric schools um, uh, allow for these kids to lose faith in their own thoughts and minds and brilliance and so community design hub was birthed by uh, me dr kayla Rashad, kj uh, mm -hmm. several other just just educators who are trying to merge design thinking with learning Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Do you have any long-term um, outcomes um, of the beta testing and any success stories of some students that you would be able to share? Yeah, so... Uh this podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. We... We, we have an organization called uh, ReCity. Okay. ReCity is a unique space that is actually located in Durham, North Carolina. Okay. And ReCity is a unique space because it was a co-working space. And it was a co-working space for nonprofits. And so mm -hmm. you began to see a lot of nonprofits who serve these communities, like job readiness and workforce development and, and uh, equity at birth and and environmentalism, all these different nonprofits that touch each aspect of these communities were all present in one building. And when mm -hmm. co-working, that, that sort of fade, that fad of co-working sort of phased out, mm -hmm. we said, what if we co-design together? Mm -hmm. And we took advantage of that season. We said, what if we co-design? So the long-term outcome is we created a space that was already embedded in the community, already had high social capital with raw community members, not community representative, raw mm -hmm. community members. Mm -hmm. um, there was a space that that housed this audience and allowed for us to create a co-design space, a space that's trusted, a space where ideas can be produced from raw community members, not PhDs, not, uh, and we're surrounded. We have, we have one of the highest concentration of colleges in this state. And the people in this room are not from those institutions. Mm -hmm. So you have really raw community members. And so for me, it's really a model. Um, the long-term outcome is a model uh, that can be duplicated where raw community members are convening each month to create ideas and solutions. Um, and so one of the things they birthed or it helped uh, launch a, uh, a community design group called ReCity Labs. Okay. That ReCity Labs represents over 22 organizations. Um, and we just held a, a big design experience. Um, in that design experience, this group was, was, was wrestling with some of the deepest challenges of their city. So mm -hmm. now we're merging a partnership between the, the, the future mayor, and we're now the mayor of Durham was there. Um, and you're seeing where the city can now lean on this institution mm -hmm. to think through gun violence, to think through dropout rates, to think through literacy rates, mm -hmm. <laughs> to think through environmental. I mean, so you now have a, a, a independent institution that can help support local government. Mm -hmm. uh, and th this is raw community members, students, young kids, their parents, all producing ideas in the community and much of it is around learning it's around literacy it's around graduation it's around job readiness it's really around 
the outcomes of public education. And so we're trying to marry those concepts together, but we're really going to the heart of disparities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it looks like, you know, this has been going on for quite a while. Like you said, these organizations that have burst out and now are working, uh, like you said, the the people that are in the community, not not necessarily the college professors or the quote-unquote um, experts or PhDs, but really, um, yeah, designing ways and combating some of the problems um, in that community. Um, I think this leads into our next question, a little bit around um, when you ran for mayor, um, you have also been a professor of of school social work. So um, when you had your platform for mayor, um, how did that kind of tie into the work that you've done as a social worker? And just um, those questions that you got about an educator running for mayoral office. Yeah, no, no, it's a really good question. Um, uh, so for me, uh, I teach uh, research and evaluation. That's one. Mm-hmm. I teach also a, a policy class. Okay. Because social work has a preamble. It, it has it has almost like a, a a career call to action, and in that call to action, it's telling you to fight homelessness. It's telling you to fight. Um, uh, racism is telling you to fight classism. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost feels like an, an Avengers creed. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. That's how that's how aggressive this social work uh, uh, preamble is when you agree to be a social worker. But also connected to that as well, um, part of the call of the social worker is to be an advocate, mm-hmm. to advocate on behalf. And so I teach an advocacy class as well. Mm-hmm. And much of the advocacy leans into how do you change human behavior? Mm-hmm. And so for me, um, allowing students to see a social worker, the, the, the call to action on the, on the career of that social worker, merge that into policy creation. I, I, I thought that it was a powerful lesson as that we need more human beings who are educators, more human beings who are social workers, who are who are human centered in their in their approach to issues, who understand and have sympathy and empathy for the student, for the person who um, may not uh, uh, may not be benefiting from the highest uh, uh, outcomes of society, and so that lends to want to lean into um, the disparities, the the those who are overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, those who are um, uh, ignored, that lens is a powerful lens when you start to create policy. Mm-hmm. That lens is a powerful lens when you start to create a campaign, a political campaign. Mm-hmm. That lens is a powerful lens when you're starting to reevaluate what a political or a, or a legislative outcome should be. So when mm-hmm. I was a research and evaluator, I, was, I evaluated uh, public school policy. Mm-hmm. So like race to the top was a policy that was implemented and I was part of a team that evaluate that policy. Are we doing well? What outcomes? What are the outputs? What are the inputs to that policy? Um, should we continue putting money into this policy? All of those questions, if you are looking through the lens of a social worker, um, it can really produce powerful student human centered outcomes for their lives. And so uh, there's several di- uh, different frameworks that I lean on. One is Ella Baker. Ella Baker was a a very uh, popular 
social justice leader during the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. She was one of the advisors for for Dr. King. Mm -hmm. She was the one that took the students in the basement of HBCU and started that sit-in movement. Uh, So Ella Baker had a leadership philosophy that said, if we create strong people, then we do not need a strong leader. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to take that framework into the public square Mm -hmm. and to lead in policy in that? How do we create strong residents? How do we create strong principals? How do we create strong teachers? More importantly, how do we create strong students? Mm -hmm. And so for me, taking that framework and leading it all the way through to its end, uh, the the next leadership framework I I, uh, value, quite, quite frankly, is just leadership. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was saying that this leadership framework, uh, the 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 desire of this framework is to allow for leadership and authority to be decentralized so that people feel empowered to engage mm-hmm. their own lives, sort of like design thinking. Mm-hmm. In design thinking, the magic of it is that people feel empowered to create solutions for the problems they see or mm-hmm. the problems they are experiencing. Uh, many of the communities that I uh, uh, engage they are operating out of need. So mm-hmm. I need to advocate for flooding because my house is flooded. <laughs> I need to advocate for um, uh, teacher pay because our teachers are quitting and we have high vacancy. Like they normally are advocating out of direct need. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I think um, that Ella Baker framework and then that just leadership framework, um, I think married to a political campaign or a candidate or or a political framework or platform can really be a game changer for for our democracy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we'll see uh, about candidates that are coming out of the woodwork uh, for the next election cycle. If we, you know, <laughs> locally, you might have some of those that are using those frameworks um, that you might be advising. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Let's talk a little bit about just. Um, the future kind of as we're um, looking at education post pandemic and thinking about resiliency, both in our students and our teachers. Um, You know, the theme of the podcast is resilience. Um, You know, how can we use a lot of these, um, you know, things that you've done with the community, um, um, some of the organizations that you've worked with, how can um, as a whole kind of at the, um, the macro level, how can we look at just um, having that positive mindset around resiliency? Because I think a lot of educators right now are feeling very distraught and just, you know, there's, there like you said, there's a, a lot of teacher shortages um, and students are not very motivated kind of across the country. So how would you address that? Yeah, yeah I, I think uh, this is a great opportunity to unleash educator innovation. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the classroom, there's several ways in which a new idea is needed. Mm-hmm. Number one, there's a thirst for remote learning in students, but it may not match that of educators or mm-hmm. school structure or the, the measure of learning time. What does it mean to unleash educators to rethink how the classroom should form and how the classroom should be shaped? And so Spark and See, which is an organization here in North Carolina, they did this that. They redesign what does it mean to be certified in real time during high school mm-hmm. in a tech career. So while you're doing your four years of nine through 12 
you know, learning curriculum, you can also finalize a career in technology. Mm-hmm. And it's on you. You, you, you. They call it the, uh, I forgot what model they called it, but you pick and choose. It's customized to you. Yeah. If you go into to cybersecurity and you don't like it, you can uncheck it and go to move on to something else. So it's literally student directed learning. And it's not just learning, it's actually career certification. They mm-hmm. can, they, while in high school, they can actually go in and, and work at a, one of the top tech hubs that are moving to North Carolina and Raleigh. So we can rethink the difference between learning and being job ready. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they are the same and sometimes they're not. And we have a chance to really think that through. Uh, what does it look like for students to, to be job ready? Uh, and what does it look like for uh, students to learn even when they're not in that formal learning classroom? Mm-hmm. And so I think if we unleash educators to reimagine that, I think that can be a powerful moment. Number two, I think there's a moment now to understand the role of mental health in learning. Mm-hmm. So at my university, we now have whole days where we pause for mental health, not a holiday, not a not a teacher work day. It's literally designed to where no assignment is due, mm-hmm. nothing. Everything is framed so that you are taking uh, care of your mental health. And so a, a healthy human body is mm-hmm. the best place to start learning. So there's a way in which we can recenter wellness mm-hmm. in the learning environment in schools. And I think that's a form of resiliency as well. We've watched communities really struggle with um, just the adjustment to a post-pandemic learning environment. We've seen right here, here we got bus vacancies. These are non-educators. These are just support professionals. Mm-hmm. Even our support professionals are trying or having a difficult time adjusting to the post-pandemic environment. So there's so many ways and so many opportunities to really rethink what a, a school day should be. Yeah. Um, and I think and I think many innovative minds are thinking around that. And uh, uh, there was one group they created they created a AI tutor mm-hmm. that talks back and forth with the student. And the, and the tutor can engage so all these all these opportunities to really try to deal with the learning loss from COVID, the vacancies of, in, in the classroom. They're really trying to see people really think through how can we how can we improve our learning landscape while also addressing some of the immediate needs at the moment. I'm just hearing some really cool, amazing ideas around that. Some of it leans on technology, some of it does not. Some of it mm-hmm. just leans on a healthy human being. And so for me, I've been I've been seeing moments of resilience yeah. um, uh, across uh, different uh, thinkers uh, that are trying to rethink this moment in time in, in, in education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I hope we look back on it as that innovative time. I think there was that spark of innovation, you know, when we were going through the pandemic and remote learning. But I think um, in a lot of places, that's kind of fallen by the wayside and gone back to right. how we've done school for the past 130 years. <laughs> right? That's right. No, I mean, even, even, yeah, even with Spark and C, Spark and C yeah. is it's like a nonprofit external no. entity. It's not. Even, it's not even like they 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 are trying to convince that traditional school model to yeah. embrace this. So you're right. You're right. Yeah, it's it's that convincing. It's the uh, legislature at the state That's level. Right. It's them right. um, working with districts to, you know, take on. It's like, you know, change is slow in the process, but like really right. being able to see that at the bigger macro level. Um, That's right. And because what we're doing is not working. <laughs> no, a lot no, of places, no. Right. 
Like, no, like you're saying, no. when kids are able to see the hands-on, um, the the career experience, right? They're not getting penalized for rethinking, like, I want to try right. this, right? If they're doing That's that right. at the high school level and they're discovering right. careers, it's, it's kind of more like that European model where they might decide in Germany at age 11, um, kind right. of a CTE field to go into. But yeah, That's I think right. there's a lot of good things happening there. And um, I hope, like I said, we'll look back in 20, 30 years and um, things like this will have taken off and led to uh, major changes in our educational system. Well, I, I do think I do think you 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 to your point earlier, uh-huh. you do need policy minded. Yeah. I mean, you do need educate educators and educate people with a history in education, educated yeah. minded, education minded, public school minded educators, social workers, helping professionals within the school district become policymakers so that yeah. they can understand that there needs to be a pivot. And what does it mean to make that pivot with the right context of the yeah. school environment in mind? But I, I agree with you. I, I really do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we've had a great conversation today around um, a lot of these areas that you're working with, uh, the organizations uh, that you mentioned, and um, just your um, resilience story in terms of um, how you're helping um, these educators um, that are, you know, losing autonomy in the classroom. And um, out of everything we've talked about today, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Yeah, I was once told this quote, um, and and it, and it it stayed with me. And it was from a it was from a, a, a educate a educator advocate. This is mm-hmm. this is not actually not an educator, but a person who advocates for public schools. And and they said you need to uh, do justice. You need to do what's right. Mm-hmm. So that's what they mean by justice. You need to love mercy. And they said not not just be a merciful person, but you need to you need to be infatuated with mercy. And then they say you need to live humbly. In, mm-hmm. in the context of our conversation today, doing what's right can be really hard. Yeah. <laughs> really hard. And sometimes it's going to require reconciliation with with people who have made very rough decisions around education. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're going to have to be merciful in some moments. <laughs> uh, and then the last part is, 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 uh, um, is to be humble. Uh, sometimes we become so attached to what we're advocating for that we forget mm-hmm. what progress would look like in the pace of progress. Yeah. So what does it mean to be humble? Understand that you have a, a role, but you're not the role. Yeah. <laughs> you have a role in this journey. Yeah. And so uh, not taking yourself too seriously, understanding yeah. your role in this journey and, and how that role may help someone down the road. And so uh, it's just, you know, do justice, love mercy, uh, walk humbly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I want to add like, like you said, not taking yourself too seriously, but also focusing on your locus of control. But like, you That's know, right. you can you can try to be, um, you know, run for school board, run for um, That's right. local office. Um, but That's like right. if you're in a classroom currently, focus on um, what you the changes you can make within your That's your right. sphere of control. Right. So That's yeah, right. That's I right. like that. Um, where can people connect with you and find you online? So I'm, I'm everywhere. uh 
True Ferrari. Um, so that's uh, Instagram. Uh, True Ferrari. That's uh, Twitter or X. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, True uh, Ferrari. Facebook. Um, it's just T R U T H F O R and R A L E I G H. Uh, True Ferrari on all those platforms. Um, Terrence Roof. If you Google, you you see all that as well. Okay. Great. Great. Well, it was great having you on the Out of the Trenches podcast today, meeting you and talking about um, your your sphere of uh, just knowledge and everything that you've experienced in your career. Uh, thanks so much for being my guest today. No, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. My book, Out of the Trenches, Stories of Resilient Educators, has now been published. You can access it through Amazon. You can buy it at the Road to Awesome website, or you can get it through my website at danagoodier.com. Please leave a review, and you can also access it on Kindle. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC. Mm-hmm.